0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me, if you would, in Luke 17, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, where we are in verses 1 through 10. When we wrap up this paragraph, we will actually uh, turn over to John. Before returning back to Luke 11, uh, we have the uh, resurrection of Lazarus coming up in John 11, verses 1 through 44, really the entirety of John chapter 11. And then we'll come back to Luke 17 and resume verses uh, 11 down through uh, really the rest of the chapter, the rest of chapters 17 and 18. So we'll be in Luke for the most part, other than the resurrection of Lazarus coming up. Of course, for today, we're still dealing with uh, this particular episode, the lessons on service, faith and influence and uh, some of the principles that we've been evaluating, including stumbling blocks and uh, how it's better for a millstone to be wrapped around your neck. It's better to die uh, the sin unto death and to be executed by your government um, in the sense of Israel and, of course, their theocracy. Uh, because the act of the sin and the death would serve as a warning to others to not do what you've done. And uh, by warning others, uh, you actually have the benefit of edifying. You're, you're bearing fruit in your divine discipline because other believers look at you and your divine discipline and they are uh, edified. They are built up in the faith and strengthened in the inner man. So. We've been dealing with some of these principles over the last couple of weeks. We're ready now to move on and examine the principles of forgiveness as uh, they're spelled out here in verses 3 and 4. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. We need to evaluate these verses here on forgiveness. Before we begin, let's take time for silent prayer so that as believer priests, we are filled with the Holy Spirit and not trampling his courts. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, thankful once again for the truth of your word for the privilege and blessing it is for us to assemble together. And we thank you that we still have freedom in our country to do so. Uh, We thank you for all of the ways that you are uh, faithfully at work. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We've had uh, the early morning prayer session. The ladies had a prayer session. Uh, We're here now for a time of study. And just thank you so much for being faithful, teaching us day by day and moment by moment the lessons that we need. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so we gave you a point of context under point one. As this phase of ministry winds down, four common messages are recapped. This was pretty common. When he wrapped up the Galilean ministry, he gave some uh, recaps. He gave some summary lessons. And uh, likewise here, he's bringing the pre ministry to a close. And so he's going to summarize, he's going to recap with some messages. Secondly, we study the principles of stumbling blocks. They are inevitable. They will come. Uh, The admonition is, make sure you are not the stumbling block. There are enough of them in this world. There's no shortage of them. The, The devil has an entire world populated with stumbling blocks to trip up believers. We don't need to add to that. Uh, and yet, we are the best stumbling blocks the devil loves to use. He loves nothing more than taking the body of Christ and, and misleading them and twisting their priorities and using them as his dupes. He gets more pleasure out of using uh, us instead of his own minions for uh, this, various, uh, this very thing. Now we're ready for point three, moving on to uh, the principles on forgiveness. Forgiveness. Disciples in spiritual combat must be alert to forgiveness opportunities. Disciples in spiritual combat must be alert to forgiveness opportunities. And really, there are two imperatives. Uh, there is a rebuke imperative in the first part of verse three, and that's perhaps the one that we're very quick to uh, turn to. But then the second one is the repent, or is the forgiveness imperative that is the uh, expectation for us if in fact our brother repents so again be on your guard if your brother sins rebuke him if he repents forgive him this is a uh, a warning on alertness as it says be on your guard god doesn't give warnings unless there's a reason for it we uh, oftentimes fail to take advantage of things because we're not alert for those open doors we're not alert for the opportunities uh, we're caught up in daily life or we're distracted by temporal life circumstances and details. And, and I recognize that we're all busy. We've got things going on, uh, but we cannot be so busy that we disobey the commands that God gives us in Scripture. When he says, be on your guard, he means it. Uh, true warnings from God are not to be ignored or minimized or um, brushed off as if they're not important. If your brother sins rebuke him. Now I'm not going to spend any time really on the rebuking principle. It is expected. Disciples need to be trained in it. Uh in course in church age application we have our own realm by which we exercise uh corporate discipline, church discipline, while we have uh pastors and deacons and, and procedures involved there. It's uh it is a, a vital function because it keeps, uh, it keeps the entire body pure. It removes the leaven. It keeps uh, believers from uh, growing comfortable in unacceptable activity. But then the second part here, that's what I really want to stress. If he repents, forgive him. Notice what is the goal of the rebuke. <laughs> the goal of the rebuke is the repentance. Rebuke is designed for the repentance. And so if that can be done at the the, the, the quickest stage possible, maybe just a one-on-one rebuke between a brother to a brother or a sister to a sister, just a one-on-one word, uh, then uh, repentance occurs, Christ is glorified, and it goes no further than that. In any any additional conversation, it never comes back again. See, part of the forgetting of what lies behind. And if he repents, forgive him. This is uh, what we're going to be studying here in this Principle. Now, the parallel text to this comes over in Matthew 18. Like I say, he's taught this before. Hold your finger there. Let's just glance over at Matthew 18. And I hope uh, as we unfold this that you're going to see that this is really an element of our combat. You say, how can this be an element of our combat? You know, in combat, I want to blow things up and kill people. (laughs) Right? In that combat, you know, armies are... Rush Limbaugh always says armies are designed to break things, right? kill people and break things. And that's what they do. They blow things up and they destroy the enemy. Well, yes, that's a feature of it. However, there's other components to combat, including uh, combat first aid, including uh, uh, binding up your, your so fellow soldier when he's injured, getting him back up to uh, duty status so that he can continue to, to carry his weight uh, in the foxhole. So you're going to start to see, hopefully, some of the uh, combat-related issues here because that's what we're in. But Matthew 18, and um, this idea of rebuking uh, comes up here. And sometimes it's in a right context, and sometimes it's in a wrong context when it happens. Uh, But here's the context. Verse 15, they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. Okay? Wrong answer. (laughs) Wrong answer. Why are you rebuking them? Jesus called for them saying, Permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Let's recognize that we don't want to rebuke in the wrong context. That if we're going to be on the alert, we rebuke when it's appropriate. But we're also conscious that uh, there's mistakes, that uh, believers can get wrapped up about the wrong issues and start uh, in their... Holier than thou attitudes that can start offering the wrong rebukes in the wrong locations for the wrong reasons. I think uh, in maybe a better way to illustrate that is to show you the imperatives out of First Thessalonians that to me illustrate the uh, the absolute wisdom that we need from the Lord. As it says, First uh, Thessalonians five fourteen. You familiar with this? First Thessalonians five fourteen. We urge you, brethren, and this to me is going to help us to understand why a rebuke can come at the wrong time or in the wrong object or in the wrong setting. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. There's three categories there, and they're all different. And then the fourth is an umbrella imperative for every category, be patient with everyone, so you see, there's four statements in that verse. Three of them that apply to different circumstances, and the fourth one that always applies: admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Let's just stop with that, okay? Because patience is required for all of them. What happens is sometimes we jump to conclusions or we make assumptions or we, in our pride, don't know all the facts. And yet we're quick to take action in different things. And so we misapply the circumstance. We think that, well, here's somebody who's faint-hearted; He needs to be encouraged. And you try to come alongside and encourage him. And actually, you're wrong. He's not faint-hearted. He's unruly. He doesn't need to be encouraged. He needs to be admonished. There's a place for the admonishment, for the rebuke, if he's unruly. You can't just come alongside and try to offer an encouragement and say, oh, you're all right, you're okay, it'll, it'll change, you'll do better. He's not all right, he's not okay, it's not going to change unless he changes his thinking. Encouragement is wrong if, in fact, he's unruly and he needs to be admonished. You understand? But turning around the other direction, what if he's, what if he's simply faint-hearted? What if he's weak? And he needs to be encouraged needs to be strengthened. But you view him with condemnation and, and pride and you view him as just simply being a rebel. Well, you're unruly. You're, you're, uh, you're carnal. And then uh, you and I get to come along like Zophar, Eliphaz, and Bildad, <laughs> looking down our long snooty noses, and uh, we start rebuking them for whatever they've done wrong. Say, well, you brought this on yourself. You're under divine discipline. You start to rebuke them. Well, that's a rebuke in a wrong setting. So we have uh, to recognize this for what it is. So anyway, I think this interesting text there in uh, that passage where the rebuke is uh, is misguided is uh, is interesting. All right. Then back to uh, and then another use of it there. Let me get back to Matthew. You know what? I was reading the wrong verse. <laughs> okay. Well, then let me go to Matthew chapter 18. I was reading from Luke 18. And it's the same rebuking that's uh, that's there. All right. Matthew 18. Y'all are going to just let me go for an hour and a half on that one issue. That's all right. See, sometimes this is how the Holy Spirit takes over. Highlights verses that uh, we wouldn't have been to otherwise. All right. Matthew 18, then, if your brother sins, yeah, parallel text. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. This is where you have that opportunity one-on-one, okay, one-on-one. Now, again, keep in mind, this is in a corporate setting. This is in a, um, an issue where the, um, the repentance is necessary for the, um, for the uh, mutual edification of the body. All right. Uh, Would you um, would you understand the balance then that you understand that this is not something that you do every single time you observe a personal sin ever committed? Okay, You understand the difference there that everybody's going to sin. you give them that opportunity. But what you're observing here is here's a brother that's not just committed a sin, but he's unrepentant about it. He's not confessing it. He's actually approving of what he's done and he's being a damaging influence on the corporate body. That is what has to be um, addressed. Go and show him his fault and pride. I think you got the, the habitual emphasis there on sinning uh, repeatedly, habitually, continuously. It's his course of life. It's his, um, the actions that he's, uh, the lifestyle that he's in. All right. You know, and it's not, uh, you know, the difference being, okay, there's somebody that made a mistake and they know they made a mistake and they know what's wrong and they've confessed it and then let it go. All right, but if he listens to you, you have won your brother. Again, just like we had it in Luke. What's the goal of the rebuke? The goal is repentance. If he listens to you, if he's repented, if it's produced the fruit, then it's over. The discipline is complete. There's no more that needs to be said. But if he does not listen to you, take two uh, more with you. So that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed and then there's the next step this is again in a corporate setting take two or more with you and this is uh, when you step it up to the next level it may be that it takes that kind of confrontation almost like an intervention with a family it takes you got to be that blunt with multiple witnesses involved so you recognize wait a minute maybe <laughs> maybe uh, i'm not right here maybe the uh, maybe the the two of them are right or the three of them are right. Maybe I've got to reevaluate this. And that might be what it takes to uh, to uh, prompt the repentance. Again, in verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them. But you notice that phrase. There was a repentance opportunity there at level two, round two, where the, the two or three are speaking. Uh, then re- if he refuses to listen even to the church. See, there's the third opportunity tell it to the church, provides a third repentance opportunity. But if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's where he has to be removed. That's where a disassociation from fellowship takes place. But only after the repentance opportunities are provided, in this case, three times over. Verse 18, then, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. When we are engaged in this activity, we are simply reflections of what God is already doing in the spiritual realm. All right, so now as a follow-up to that, Peter has a question. Verse 21, and I'm not picking on Peter. I think probably many of the disciples had the same question. It's just they... They found it very easy to go to Peter and asking these kind of things. So Peter came and said to him, Lord, you know, that forgiveness thing. OK, I, I get that we can we can do that. We can give him three chances and three strikes and you're out and he can live with that. OK, but what if. You know, he repents, but then down the road does it again. How many times do we got to go through this, how often do we forgive him? So, Lord, how many, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And even that seems extreme. If you're really a hyper-legalist, you give him one shot. And if he repents, great. But the second time, well, then forget it. You had your chance. <laughs> no. And Jesus says, I don't say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Up to 70 times seven. In other words, don't count. It's not an issue of counting. Can you count? It's not... Counting to 490 is simply saying, as as an idiom here, quit keeping count. 70 times 7, I don't think we're there yet. All right, so this is a message he's given before, he's giving it again. Uh, Interestingly enough, back to Luke uh, 17 now, he's teaching on forgiveness, even as he's preparing for his own betrayal. If you anticipate some betrayal coming up, then what doctrines do you want to review? How about grace? How about forgiveness? How about mercy? Reviewing these things so that you uh, keep your attitude where it needs to be even in the face of betrayal. All right, we need to be alert to forgiveness opportunities. There's a principle here. This is a daily item of clothing that we're to put on every day. The Christian heart must be put on daily. And that Christian heart consists of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. From Colossians 3.12. The Christian heart must be put on daily. See, we have resources available that Israel never had. Our new nature in Christ, the, filling, the universal indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the garments He provides for us to wear, and then, of course, the armor He provides for us to wear. But here's a heart, heart of compassion, And it's described as an article of clothing that we put on daily. Colossians 3.12. Let me turn over there. You know, we're all eager, of course, to turn to Ephesians 6 and put on our full armor and go out there and get in combat. Well, there's other things to wear before you put on the armor. In a lot of respects, the armor is the last thing that you put on. It's the top layer. It's the external armaments that you suit up when you put on the panoply and you're fully engaged in the in the combat operations. But what do you wear under your armor? What does your daily uniform consist of when you're not in the uh, combat armor? What if you're in simply on alert status and you're in your armor of, of watchfulness before you're in the front-line armor of combat? There's different armors in the Scripture. And then what if uh, what's the clothing that you wear before you put on the armor of watchfulness? And what's the heart you wear before you put on the clothing? This is a verse that speaks of the heart. All right, so uh, Colossians 3.12. So, as those who have been chosen of God... Holy and beloved. Did you do anything to become holy? No. Did you do anything to become beloved? No. God so loved the world in His own integrity, sacrificial, unconditional love. His agape love. Not because you deserved it, but because God is love. You are beloved because God is love. Not because you are lovable or lovely. Okay? Okay? Likewise you are not holy because you uh you work very hard at doing holy things, okay? You work you're very you work very hard at uh at producing your own holiness. If you want to if you're really interested in working hard at producing your own holiness, um, I can I can loan a book to you. It's called The Pharisee's Guide to Total Holiness. And uh, you can work hard at trying to make yourself holy. And uh, the Pharisees set a good example for you in that because that was their specialty. But uh, I think when you finish the book, you realize it's all a waste of time. The harder you work and the more you do in human effort and pride, uh, you're not producing holiness. You're producing anything but. So I I like the way this verse starts off as those who have been chosen of God. That's our sanctification, holy and beloved. Um, God sets us apart. He's chosen us. We're holy because He's made us holy. We're beloved because He's loved us. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You're commanded to put that on. Now, most of those are fruit of the Spirit items anyway. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what you can produce. But the emphasis here is not what you produce. The emphasis is what you wear. What you wear. All right? Now, we can discuss this, uh, I suppose, and greater detail but the idea of putting something on means it's on display it's adorning your uh you know your your body you're 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 adorning something you're wearing something and uh, anyone should be able to see looking at you kindness compassion humility gentleness why because you're wearing it you're wearing it bearing with one another and forgiving each other, and forgiving each other. See, in a lot of respects, just this one point here, it answers a whole lot of questions because um, all too often whenever you discuss a forgiveness principle, the humanity in us comes out and says, okay, Pastor, you say 70 times 7, right? You say forgive, but it's hard. (laughs) I don't want to. Or how? What are the steps for doing that? It's e- easy to say, harder to live. Right? And I agree. Absolutely I agree. In my humanity, uh, I would, I'm right there with you. You read the verse and you say, humanity doesn't want to do that. Carnality doesn't want to do that. Well, I think this verse goes a long way. You start with doing what? You start with identifying what you've been forgiven of. You start with identifying the grace that has saved you, the grace that has chosen you, the grace that has sanctified you, made you holy, the grace that has loved you. That's why you're called beloved. And you start occupying with that, and then you start to say, okay, wait a minute. I can't hold anything against my brother. Not one thing. Because of what I've been forgiven by. And you see that here. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Just as the Lord forgave you, uh (laughs) uh-oh, did you really have to put it that way? So also should you. Okay, Believers who fail to forgive are believers that stop occupying with their own grace forgiveness. If you have an unforgiving spirit, if you've got an unforgiving attitude, I'd say chances are good that you are not locked in on what you've been forgiven of. The, the filthy sinner that you are. And yet, God in Christ forgave you, redeemed you, set you apart, called you, made you holy, belo- made you beloved. And you realize that whoever this is that's hurt you, whoever it is, they've done you, they've done you wrong. Oh man, did they do you wrong. And that maybe they're still doing it. All right, understand that. And it hurts, but the sin isn't against you. The sin is against God, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And the principle is they may may have wronged you, they may have offended you. But the sin is against God and Jesus Christ died for it on the cross. And God the Father poured out his wrath on that sin against you. So we need to, uh, to keep this in our thinking. All right. Do we put this on daily? Do we wake up and say, Father, adorn my heart with these attributes. Clothe me with this heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Recognize that since the bulk of those are, let's say, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Yeah, four of those, four out of the five are all fruit of the Spirit that uh, none of that's going to happen if you're in carnality. So confess your sins, get in fellowship, and then ask the Father not only to produce those things within you, but to adorn you with these items. This allows for genuine Christ-motivated forgiveness. If this is your heart, if this is your attitude, you're producing it, you're wearing it, then you can be uh, motivated by Christ and forgive others. There's nothing you can't forgive. Do you see the universal language of verse 13? When it says whoever, that, that means you. And when it says against anyone, that means whatever. Okay? That, is, that doesn't leave room for exceptions. That doesn't leave room for, um, you know, there's no exceptions to that. Say, you know, forgive anyone except so on and so forth. Right? You can forgive anything, but draw the line here. There's no line to draw. It's Whoever forgive anyone whoever has a complaint against anyone just as the lord forgave you now what's the manner in which the lord forgave you just as in the same manner as just as so think about the how how did the lord forgive you unconditionally and eternally how are you going to forgive them you're not forgiving them unconditionally and eternally, then you're not forgiving just as Christ forgave you. See, this is, uh, this is, uh, this is powerful. I'm, I'm preaching myself today. I don't know. People listening to the MP3 may not realize it's a totally empty room here today. And No, not really. I'm teasing. But might as well be. Might as well be a totally empty room. I'd be preaching this to myself. Preach this to everybody. Do I have an unforgiving spirit? Do I have uh, my own uh, hurts and whatever, and I'm not willing to let them go? It also provides for our adornment, our adornment with agape love. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's kind of interesting. How are these things layered You know, it seems like uh, you got to put on the heart of compassion in verse 12. And so then once that's on, then love gets put on over top of that, right? Beyond all these things, above all these things, over all these things, put on love. And there's the first of the fruit of the Spirit right there. The perfect bond of unity. And all of this is what you're wearing simply as a heart or as garments and before you put on your other clothing, before you put on your armor of watchfulness from 1 Thessalonians 5. I think it's first Thessalonians and then the armor of uh, of uh, combat in Ephesians chapter six. Secondly, now, since love bears all things, forgiveness has no numerical limit. Since love bears all things. Forgiveness has no numerical limit. You'll notice that heart of compassion, kindness, gentleness, goodness, patience. That heart is not only uh, highly redundant with the fruit of the spirit from Galatians 5, it's also highly redundant with agape love in 1 Corinthians 13. Because love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. It's not an accident that these uh, traits are so... um, repeated in these different contexts first Corinthians 13 <laughs> not a you know it's interesting this passage gets uh, focused on at weddings and different things and it's uh, it's featured in wedding services I've used it in wedding services it's uh, and yet, there's a part of me hmm, that would, well, I'm not going to say ban it from all wedding services. But if you're going to preach it and read it at a wedding service, do so with a recognition that the... Uh, the uh, the the passions of romance and the newness of the relationship and all this other stuff pales. And that they don't know what this passage is about. And they won't for 10 years, 20 years down the road. I think this is a passage that the fullness of it, the depth of doctrine of this passage is uh, better testified to by... Uh, A husband, a wife on their, I almost said 50th, but at least 25th or 20th wedding anniversary. Give it some time for uh, love to be patient. How about that? Seriously, how patient have you been in the romance and the heat and passion of, of courtship and engagement and marriage and so forth? You know, if you really want to learn love is patient from first Corinthians thirteen four, then that's gonna take uh, eight or nine or ten or twelve good fights and uh, <laughs> some struggles, some failures, some forgiveness along the way. Love is kind. Love is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, it does not provoke, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. Man, <laughs> all too often in the romance of courtship and different things, um, you, you've got very minimal wrongs suffered, don't you? I mean, isn't the, the guy pretty much just doing everything he can to not ruin the thing, right? And she's doing everything she can to put the best foot forward and all that. And what wrongs suffered are there, see? If there is one or two or whatever small little things... They, usually get overlooked because, uh, again, the emotions are all caught up and other things are taking place. And you got, there's an illusion of, oh, you know, Mr. Perfect here, and he's never going to, you know, just wait. Mr. Perfect isn't Mr. Perfect. The only perfect man died on the cross. He's been in glory for 2,000 years. So, um, In reality, the full depth, the full depth of agape love takes time to to grow, to develop, to be um, produced in its fullness now, in its fullness. Bears all things. And that's different from enduring. Bearing is a um, different kind. We went through all this in first Corinthians, you know this. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So there it is. What am I not going to forgive? If I'm not going to forgive, that means I've drawn a numerical limit. I've drawn a line. I've said, that's it. No more. And love bears most things until I say enough is enough. I'm not bearing that anymore. No, you're not, but love does. Get yourself out of it. Put on love again because love can bear these things all things there is no numerical limit back to Matthew 18:22 again 70 times 7 it's an idiom it's not a math quiz we're not going to keep track of 490 literal things done wrong it's a no numerical limit all things thirdly failure to forgive Failure to forgive demonstrates an unforgiving heart. See, as you think in your heart, so you do. And if you're not going to engage in the forgiveness activity, then that reflects an unforgiving heart. It may be this test has nothing to do with a jerk that did you wrong. God permitted it to test your heart, to develop your heart of forgiveness. And so, if you blow it, guess what? (laughs) Expect some more forgiveness opportunities. We're to be on the alert for forgiveness opportunities. And you're much better off forgiving the first time instead of the twelfth time. Uh, Learn the lesson sooner rather than later. Does your heart much better. Failure to forgive demonstrates an unforgiving heart, like failure to love. Demonstrates an unloving heart. As your heart, so you do. You understand that. The heart, the soul is you, not your activities. Matthew 6.15. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's interesting because this is going to be a facet. I think it already is. uh, But I believe it's going to be a facet of fellowship and returning to fellowship. In Matthew 6.15. This is where uh, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Uh, It says in verse 14, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. This is an attitude that has to be maintained. You say, well, how will the father not forgive me? Does this passage ever bother you any? Let me spell it out for you then. So just, um, you know, identify. In fact, if you want, just put Matthew 6, uh, 15 on one side of your paper, draw a line. And then on the other side of your paper, of course, put 1 John 1, 9. We forgive, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the passages are not in tension, they're not in conflict. You can't say, well, I like this verse, I'm going to believe it. I don't like this verse, it must not be true. They're both true. And here's how. Okay. It doesn't say your father cannot forgive you, it says he will not forgive. He will not forgive. And stepping over for the moment the fact that this is millennial and it's looking forward to future ritual cleanliness for ritual observance, let's at least understand what the spiritual dynamic is, because I think it still applies today too. If you do not forgive others, if you do not forgive others, what does that stipulate? You're still harboring a mental attitude sin. You're not confessing or you're only partially confessing or you are confessing one item, not confessing another or even worse. You're confessing the wrong thing. And here's what I'm talking about. Um, confession is an agreement. And I think a lot of our confessions are not agreements. Homo First John 1, 9. Homo to say the same thing, yes, right? Homo, lago, you understand all our homo terms and lago, logos. Okay, so you're saying the same thing. So what does God say about my sin? That's <laughs> wrong. It diminishes. It's, it falls short of his glory. It besmirches the name of Christ. It's, it's I want to cast it far from me. And I don't want to do it again. So if I'm confessing, and if you want to add another proverb to this, add Proverbs 30. Um, I think that's another passage that shows us a flawed confession is proverbs 30 uh but if i am simply citing naming what i've done but i'm not in agreement with god it's not confession i think there's an awful lot of admissions that are not confessions you know what i'm talking about i can i can admit what i've done father i did such and such all right well that's a That's an admission. But are you, in fact, confessing? Now, I'm not finding my Proverbs verse. You have to confess and forsake, it says in Proverbs. I'll find it for you later. Okay, the um, I thought I'd grab it real quickly here and. Because I was just here the other day. LaRosa, you got Libronics up and running? 28.13. Alright, thank you. I it was towards the back of Proverbs. Just... Alright. He who conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Confesses and forsakes. See, this comes to the heart of what happens when we don't confess properly. When we don't truly confess. You're not forsaking. Yeah, you confess something, but you intend to do it again tomorrow. Then you're not humble ago. You're not in agreement with the Father. Are you back in fellowship at that point? Okay. Likewise, if you uh, in the mental attitude sins... We confess our anger. Are we confessing everything? What sparked that anger? Well, my pride was hurt, and uh, and they they did me dirt. So I confess the anger. Uh, Father, I threw a temper tantrum. I punched a guy in the nose. Whatever I did, but I still haven't forgiven the guy, and my pride is still hurt. Am I in fellowship? I have an unforgiving heart. See, and that's what's at the core of this. If you do not forgive others, then you have an incomplete confession. You have an incomplete repentance. It's not repentance. And you can't get away with simply a formula saying that if I if I use the words, Dear Heavenly Father, and if I name one sin, and I end it in Jesus' name, Amen, That automatically it's like a Harry Potter spell. I just cast this incantation, and now I have to be uh, he's faithful and just to forgive me my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Careful now. Did I, in fact, homologeo? That's the key. Did I homologeo? Did I say the same thing? Is my heart attitude towards my sin what God's heart attitude is towards my sin? If not, I haven't confessed. Con. Together with. Con. Like conjoined twins, all right? God is saying something about your sin. You say the same thing about your sin. And that's true confession. So failure to forgive demonstrates an unforgiving heart. Such a heart is prepared for Satan's manipulations. Uh, the, the text here in Matthew 6, where he read verse 15. If you do not forgive others, your father will not forgive your transgressions. Likewise, 1835, Matthew 1835 And here's this wicked, lazy slave who was forgiven of this whopping debt. You know, it would be like having the IRS just write off a $100,000 tax uh, um, judgment against you and just dismiss it. And you just got uh, forgiven $100,000. And then you turn to your neighbor who owes you 50 bucks, And uh, you start throttling him and you're going to sue him and you're going to throw him into prison. And so the Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. The unforgiving heart provokes God's wrath. The unforgiving heart. You think you know, nothing. Read through the Proverbs. Read through the six things he hates, even seven. Okay? Read through the list. And it's not the, what you would think. The the uh, outrageously carnal Gentile of fornicators and adulterers and murderers and rapists and homosexuals and all that. It's the prideful heart. It's the prideful heart. That's what's most satanic. The unforgiving heart. You know what God the Father did to forgive you? It cost him His Son. And you're going to defy that forgiving heart of the Father with your own unforgiving heart? When the Father put his son on the cross, should I nail your unforgiving heart to the cross. So it provokes his wrath. And we see that there. Such a heart is prepared for Satan's manipulation. It's very satanic, very satanic, because that's his heart. That's his heart. Satan's unforgiving. He's been hating God ever since he got booted out of the heavenly temple in his own fall, and he's been unforgiving ever since. And he manipulates every aspect of unforgiveness and pride you'll ever have. And we read about it. In fact, this was part a feature of our study in 2 Corinthians chapter two. Do you remember this? He says, "You've got to forgive him." Says. Um, To this end, I wrote so that I might put you to the test, whether you're obedient in all things for the one whom you forgive. I forgive also indeed what I have forgiven. If I've forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. When you can display Christian forgiveness, it edifies the body of Christ. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. No advantage. Think about the ways you can be taken advantage of. You know, different ways. You get some um, high-pressure salesman, and he takes advantage of you, and you you spend more money than you want to spend because you you were pressured. You didn't think straight, and you just were uncomfortable, and you wanted to be okay, fine. And you just, oh, I don't like these high-pressure deals. Okay, fine. And you you regret what you spent because you didn't want to, but he pressured you into it. Okay. Or other things, other pressure situations, and you compromise because of your pressure, because of the advantage, and they took advantage of you. They took advantage of you financially, took advantage of you emotionally, took advantage of you, whatever, physically, okay? Uh, How about taking advantage of you in gullibility? And next thing you know, you're talking to a guy on the phone, telling him something you shouldn't have told him, (laughs) right? Oh, man, and it hurts, Notice what it says here, an unforgiving heart, an unforgiving heart. Think about that. Think about that. I mean, there are things you can do that will make you more vulnerable, right? You understand? I mean, you can make some dumb decisions and leave yourself even more vulnerable to be taken advantage of. And you just don't want to be doing that. See, well, look at here's a dumb decision that leaves you vulnerable to be taken advantage of. And it's having an unforgiving heart that no advantage will be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. See, he's not stupid. No, he's not a mind reader. Only God looks upon the heart, only God knows the heart. But he can sure read you, watch your activity, watch your conversation. And he knows what kind of heart you're, you're dealing with because he sees what comes off your lips, he sees your activity. And boy, when he sees the lack of forgiveness, that there is just like, uh, you know, man, it's like your pastor at Pluckers. That's just licking the lips, licking his chops, can't ready to devour that, right? Hmm. I have a confession to make, but I'll wait till I'm off tape. All right. Advantage. Advantage. Think about it. And, and I don't need to get blunt or whatever here this morning. You understand what I'm talking about in terms of being taken advantage of in any way, financially, sexually, uh, whatever. OK. And you understand there's things you can do that don't help and actually feed the issue and actually assist in being taken advantage of. And you don't you want, don't want to have anything to do with any of that. Okay. there's other things you can do that actually go the other way that help you put barriers up, that puts uh, protection in place, that keeps you from being victimized in a lot of ways. And that's financially, emotionally, every other kind of advantage that can be taken of us spiritually now. What steps can you take to not be taken advantage of spiritually? A big step you're doing right now. (laughs) Getting into Bible class, feeding on the word, surrounding yourself with Christian friends, Um, being committed to diligent, uh, consistent prayer ministries, saturating your mind with truth. These are wonderful provisions you're making that will hold off the vulnerability to being taken advantage of. But the biggest item this passage is talking about put on that forgiving heart, the heart of compassion, kindness, gentleness, forgiveness because if you don't you're just setting yourself up to be manipulated all right we need forgiveness we also need faith disciples under increased attack and combat require increased faith lord increase our faith luke 17 and if you think you're doing all right say yeah i'm pretty pretty effective i'm uh, stable In my Christian walk, Hmm. let him who thinks he stands take heed. Think you're doing all right? Great. Do better. Are you content? Say, yeah, I'm pretty content. Content with your level of fitness, really. You can always do more. Right? Say, well, I can do 58 sit-ups in a minute. Really? Go for 60. (laughs) Right? Whatever your level is, we grow content How fast do you run the mile? Are you content with that? Do it faster next time. And all these things. I was watching a feature on Navy SEAL training, and they had a little deal with uh, just trying to do the basic uh, fitness test to start the training, not to finish the training, but to start the training. And most Americans were flushing out of it, (laughs) say, interestingly enough. The Massachusetts guy that won last night, his wife... uh, actually did very well. She passed the test very well. TV news reporter there in Boston. I thought it was kind of interesting. Some of the media was so busy attacking him and attacking her and attacking their girls and all this other stuff. And I'm reading about how she passed the Navy SEAL fitness test. I thought, they better be careful. (laughs) Some of those reporters might get the what for. The point being, though, Your level of faith is a measure of your spiritual fitness. You ever take a spiritual fitness exam? Do you ever evaluate where you are in your conditioning? Where are you in your endurance? Where are you in your your, uh, spiritual athleticism? Well, it says... um, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Why do they say increase our faith? Because they just realized that that forgiveness thing was going to be a lot harder than they were ready to deal with. <laughs> you know, again, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. I say, that's just tough. Are you serious? Seven times a day? Seven times a day. So the Apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. In other words, things that you view impossible are simple. And they don't require vast quantities of faith. Mustard seed being the smallest seed possible to illustrate. So how much faith do you need? I think it also illustrates how much faith do you have. <laughs> they had something smaller than mustard seed faith at this point when he's teaching them this principle, hoping that as they increase their faith, they would attain to mustard seed proportion faith. Increase our faith. Matthew 17:20. Matthew 17:20. Parallel text, I think. Let me see. Um, Yeah, they were all... I mean, they've been casting out demons and healing, and then all of a sudden they encounter this demon they can't cast out. Well, why? uh, How come we didn't... uh, It wasn't working tonight. It was working the other times. Well, this is because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So you want to plant a mulberry tree in the ocean or do you want to move a mountain from place to place? That'd be kind of nice. I miss the mountains. Let's get uh, Mount Rainier down here. So, well, that, that Mount Baker. we we'll leave Mount Rainier up there. But um, Mark chapter 9. We'll have to get back to this next week because this is... Uh, There's too many other verses I want to look at that show proportions of faith and how faith increases. How does a muscle get stronger? Yeah, use it. Exercise. You want it a lot stronger? Use it a lot. You want it weaker? Then quit using it. (laughs) All right. Mark chapter 9. And here's... um, this dad, he's upset because his boy is demon, uh, demoniac. And not only that, but the guy keeps throwing him into fires and things. And and um, man doesn't have a whole lot of faith. He says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Is there anything you can do about it? Right? The God of the universe. Is there anything you think you can do about this? Okay? You know, it's like going to lunch with Michael Dell and asking, are you sure you can afford this? Like, what? How insulting. Here's the God of the universe who created the universe. You're saying, Well, think you can do anything? If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can? You out of your mind? All things are possible to him who believes. Notice that though. He's not saying all things are possible for God the Son and his sovereignty and omnipotence, and he's saying for him who believes. Born again regenerate believers functioning under faith, with access to the throne of grace. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. I love that verse. I do believe, help my unbelief. Do you understand that? you understand what that's saying? It's saying that you can believe and not believe at the same time. Or that you can believe and yet your capacity is diminished because there are still components to it in which you're struggling. And so you're simultaneously believing and unbelieving at the same time. This is a message that uh, comes into other applications as well when believers are commanded to not be unbelieving. I do believe, help my unbelief. In other words, I have a faith capacity. But it's diminished. It needs to be increased. So help my unbelief. Increase my faith capacity. Increase the proportion where my belief is total and my unbelief is gone. So uh, Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering. Interestingly enough, he's not looking at the man in his belief unbelief. He sees the crowd. He rebukes the unclean spirit. Yeah, there's different things that happen there. I'm going to pick up on this next week because uh, there's some subpoints here in A and B, and then we're going to look at the unworthy slaves in verses 7 through 10. So we still have at least one more, maybe two more Wednesdays in this episode. Uh, but the uh, increased faith, we want to understand, because the opposite of that is, is a weak faith, is a diminished faith. And what happens when we don't exercise our faith? Well, then we grow weak in faith, and that's true of believers, believers that are not being fed believers that are not exercising believers that are not fellowshipping because they're not exercising their faith capacity in different realms and so they grow weak in faith and that's something we've got to guard against so anyway we'll come back to that again next week uh, i think we got through the forgiveness principles all right and we'll save ourselves for faith uh, principles next week thank you father for the truth of your word thank you for your faithfulness uh, we do ask for increased faith we do ask for increased uh Forgiveness, that uh, you would open our eyes to those forgiveness opportunities, open our eyes to the areas where maybe we've been unforgiving, Father. We've been uh, withholding um, unconditional eternal forgiveness. And uh, we've been forgiving, but not as Christ forgave us. We've forgiven with strings attached. We've forgiven with expectations. We've forgiven on a conditional, limited basis. Uh, We've forgiven with a very... uh, edgy trigger ready to stop forgiving at a moment's notice father none of those things i described just now none of those are forgiving just as god in christ has forgiven us so open our eyes to these principles and humble us if there's uh, issues that we need to resolve with a brother or with a sister then um, convict us to uh, not let the sun go down on those issues today is the day to uh to restore that fellowship and i thank you in jesus christ's name amen